0: You are about to hear a message preached at Church One on the Gold Coast. To find out more about Church One, visit us on the web at churchone.com.au. And be sure to subscribe to these podcasts so you don't miss out on any new messages as they are available. How's everybody? Good? All right. You know, this month, really, we wanted to set aside as a month of understanding more about stewardship, and normally when people think about stewardship, they think of a few things. One, they think about giving. Some preachers have preached all the time that stewardship is about giving. Giving is one part of stewardship. It's not all of stewardship. Amen. Some people think that stewardship is is about saving your money, but that's only one part of stewardship. Stewardship, you know, in its true essence of what it is, it's management. It's actually managing something you've been entrusted that ultimately doesn't belong to you. And when you're entrusted something that doesn't belong to you, that means that you have the ability and the capacity to do something with that. Right? And if you've been entrusted with something that doesn't belong to you, at some point, given, given point in time, you will be accountable for what you've been entrusted. Amen? Amen? Are you there? I said, are you there? You can talk to me. It's Sunday. I know some of you are probably still just waking up this Sunday morning, but it's Sunday. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So this morning I'm going to talk to you about stewardship, but from another perspective, maybe something that I I haven't heard too much about, but today I want to talk about stewarding vision stewarding God's vision. What does that look like? How many of you have a vision in your heart about what you believe God is calling you to do? It could be something really big. It could be something really small. It could be something overwhelming. It could be something that, hey, I think I'm supposed to do that. You could be kind of sort of not sure about it. But how many of you have an inkling of some kind of vision that you want to do for God or in God or with God? Give me a hand. Right? If that's you. Right, so, you know, for some of you, are probably a different journey in that vision. Maybe you're at the beginning, and it's really super exciting, it's like, wow, we're going to do great things for God, and with God, because it just, you know, kind of just revealed something new to us, and for some of you, maybe you are at the end of that, and said, man, we're almost there, we're going to get it, we're going to see it, it's going to be amazing, and for some of you. Are we going through that and thinking, oh, God, what is this ever going to happen? Right? I'm wondering. I know it's last minute. Do we have a whiteboard somewhere? Or no? Have they the whiteboard gone missing? If you can find one for me, that would be incredible. If not, I understand that. But in the meantime, I will stall and read scripture. Not really. Uh, but I will read scripture. All right, turn your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew, chapter twenty-five. We'll read this together. And I'll say this before I, I read this: God has a vision for you. Can you turn your neighbor and say, "God has a vision for you"? Amen. And today, I'm hoping today to try to help you understand whether your vision is from God or not. I like think one of the frustrations that a lot of Christians have is that they start to dream dreams. That God never meant for them to dream. And God wants you to dream dreams that only comes from him. uh, Because when you do that, not only does it guarantee you success, when you go through hard times in seeing those dreams come to fruition, you will have the peace and the strength of God with you and the confidence that God has called you to do it and pursue it. Now here's... A few caveats, what I'm going to say to you about your dream. Ultimately, when God gives you a dream, it's never just for you. Okay? It's never just for you, but you will receive amazing rewards along the journey if you decide to align yourself with what God has for you. Thanks, gentlemen. That was good. (coughs) Now, if you could just find some pins. So Matthew chapter 25, from verse 14, I'm just going to read it to you. If you, have you Are you there? You got it in your Bibles? For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. I want you to note what the Bible says here. He called what? Who did he call? Who did he call? He didn't call servants. He called his servants. Note that. And secondly, he gave them his goods. Are you getting this so far? Are you getting this? We don't own ourselves, and we don't own what we have. As a Christian... That's one of the most fundamental things that we need to understand. Even though we can have some kind of buy-in to a vision, ultimately when God gives you a dream, it's His, not yours. The reason we falter in the dreams that we have is because we make a mistake with regards to ownership. Because if you own something, you'll control something. And you'll be afraid of losing something. Because if it comes from God, you can never lose it. Who can steal from God? If your dream's from God, who can steal it from you? The moment we take ownership of something and say, it's mine, it's mine, that's the day you start to lose it. Because God can't protect what's not his. He can only protect your dream if, if it still belongs to him. Come on, are you hearing me? You doing okay? Does the earth belong to the Lord or to us? The Bible said the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So when he put Adam and Eve on the earth, did it say, it's yours now? That's not what God said. It says, you are to have dominion. Come on, work on it, right? To manage it and steward it. First commandment to humanity, before anything else, is to become good stewards of what God has created. Did God create the world for man? No, God created the world for himself. That's a selfish God. The Bible tells in Colossians, he, all things were created by him and for him are all things created. You're created for God. You know, we don't own our lives. You can go tomorrow. You can go Late in life, I'm not just trying to sound morbid, <coughs> a good friend of mine, a good friend of mine passed away last week and I just missed him by about an hour. I went to visit him at the hospital and and I just missed him and I was still able to at least see him there before they, they took him away and I was able to, to just be with him and his family. And it was only a month ago that he called me and said, hey, I... I I, th- I got diagnosed of, of asbestos cancer, and um, it was a month ago, we were just talking as if there was nothing wrong with it, he said, oh, but it'll be fine, God's in control, right? You know what we say sometimes when we say God is in control? God is in control to make it happen for my sake. That's what we normally say, we don't actually say God is in control, because if God is in control, that means you're not. You, can have, you cannot have God in control and you're in control with the outcomes. So but sometimes when we say, oh, God is in control, that's our way of placating our fears and saying to ourselves, well, you know, it's all going to work out to my benefit because God is in control. No, no. If God is in control, it may not work out to your benefit. Oh, come on, somebody. Either he's in control or he's not. His control has nothing to do with the results of your life. It has to do with His will. Come on, somebody. And His purpose. Because the Bible tells us that it is He who wills and works in your life for His purpose. Amen. (laughs) So, so far we've established this. And verse 15 says, to the one He gave five talents, to another two, to another one another one to each according to his own ability so if 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 the ownership of the resource is god if the ownership of dream of the dream is god if the ownership of of your life is god what do you own what do you got if everything belongs to god what do you got the bible is clear you have Ability. You own the ability that God has given you. Come on, are you hearing me? And this ability refers to your talent, your time, your treasure, everything at your disposal to be the best steward for God's You have choices in your ability. God's given that to you, for you, to fulfill his call. And one thing is, what I love about this is that according to his own ability, meaning that God knows your limitations more than you do. I got into four-wheel driving a long, long time ago. I love I'm going to eat like four-wheel driving <laughs> when I got my first Hilux. I remember as uh, I was in my early 30s, I just got a brand new Hilux, this tough, unbreakable car, and and I have a friend who loved four-wheel driving, and he said, come on, we'll go to something that's really, really light. So he took me to the Gurawins Mountains, uh, just past Ipswich towards Buna. Have you been there? You've been there? Have you been to that track? It's crazy, because I went with Isaac's mom and dad. Did you know that? I just got my truck. I think your mom and dad just got their Land Cruiser at that time, too. So uh, you were a little, weedy boy, man. And uh, and so we're driving along. And I'm driving along here. I'm just bouncing around with my friend David in my truck. And, uh, and there were some pretty wild. Th- we had river crossing. We had rocks everywhere. We had crossing boulders, you know, on, on two wheels, you know. And it was crazy. It was the first time. It was a baptism by fire or by rocks i don't know even what to call it it was it was horrible and yet exciting and i was really excited because we we're traveling along <laughs> so i i i i went went back to the book to check this four-wheel driving course and it says intermediate advanced i said to my friend Cole, why did you bring me here i've never driven out I've never driven out back on gravel road, let alone doing this. And he said something to me that was really, really, really stuck with me as a principle of life. He said this, you may not you may not be able to do it, but your truck can do more things than your capacity to drive. I remember he said you can do a lot more. You can go through things you would not believe. And the moment I realized that I had in my hand, a vehicle that can do anything, all I needed was to be a little bit brave. And I'll get through whatever I need to get through that day because I had the capacity. Sometimes we don't know our limits. God knows your true limits. If you think you've hit the wall already, God is probably looking at you. You haven't. You haven't hit the wall. You know, there's, uh, I think, I mean, Kathy, you'd know this. They say that if you're already throwing up when you're working out, you've only used 30% of your your capacity. Is that true? (laughs) You got more in the tank. Turn to your neighbor and say you got more in the tank. You sounded like you were out of tank when you said that. Come on, turn your mercy, you got more in the tank. Amen. Now you got to believe that. You really got to believe that. It, it, it doesn't mean that you, you know, when you're going through life and things are getting hard, get back on your knees and pray. Get people around you to help you through whatever hump you're going through. Because you actually have more in the tank. Maybe you have to make adjustments in life. Maybe you have to spend less. Or, or rearrange your timetable. Maybe you have to plan better, but you have more in the tank. The reason people run out is because of lack of planning and bad stewardship. Right? You don't run a marathon by sprinting the first kilometer. You may be able to do it, but you've got to pace yourself. And for some people, they haven't paced through life, and then they're hitting this wall, but you've got more in the tank. Amen. Amen. That's why it's important to steward the vision that God's given you. You gotta steward, you gotta take care of it. I'll tell you why that's so important. <laughs> now you all know the story here. How many of you are familiar with this story of the story of the of the parable of the talents? Three of you? Okay. Some of you gotta read your Bible more. And then to received five talents went and traded with them or invested them and made another five talents. Likewise, the one who had received two gained two more. But the one who received, the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Whose money was it? I want you to just pause for a moment and think about your money. I want you to pause for a moment and think about your time. I want you to pause for a moment and think about your family. I want you to pause for a minute and think about your ministry. Is it your ministry? Is it your family? Is it your church? Is it your money? Or is it the Lord's money? See, it doesn't just apply to money. It applies to every aspect of our lives. The vision that I carry is the Lord's vision. We want to go for the long haul, folks. We want to play the long game of this, right? We want to get to the end of this, all right? And then it says, <coughs> and uh, and after a long time, the lords of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Somebody say settled accounts. Say it again, settled accounts. You know what? You know what? We're, that, that we're all going to be accountable one day. At some point, we're going to give accounts. And uh, so he, he received five talents, came and brought forward, said, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. Verse 21, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Somebody say faithful. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Verse 22, he also received, he, he also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I've gained two more besides them. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. In verse 24, then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you, had, you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid... Somebody say afraid. What stopped him from doing something? Well, some people say it's fear. I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna ex- I'm gonna kind s- of sort of explain to you. There's more than fear that stopped him. I was afraid. Him saying I was afraid was actually an excuse. That wasn't the reason why he didn't invest. I'll tell you why. And when you hid your talent in the ground, look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at at my coming, I would have received my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one that has ten. And to everyone who has more will be given and will have abundance. But to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And cast the unprofitable servant into the utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're not going to talk about end time stuff here, but but I just want to talk about the, the principle of what God is saying. I really do believe that a lot of people experience hardship and poverty. Not all the time, but for most people that I have met because of some of the choices that we make in life. There are people that you just cannot, you just have nothing. You know, I grew up in a third world nation, so I know what that looks like. So I'm not coming to you as somebody that says, I got everything, and I'm I'm being arrogant about it. I'm just saying. But I remember growing up, my mother, um, I'm sure she doesn't mind me sharing. You know, we lived in a a poverty-stricken ghetto in Manila. And yet people came to us to borrow money. I remember that. I remember as a 10-year-old, 9-year-old boy, my mom would send me to collect money from people because they owed money. I was a debt collector at the age of 10. You know, that's wha- what she did to me. <coughs> that's why I'm so good at offering, taking offerings. I remember the poverty of those people I, I may not have shared with her but i remember going into a house that was so dark it was no bigger than maybe this section here smaller than this section i would walk in there and there's a pregnant woman i remember this picture and she says i can't afford to pay my debts and i would i would be torn because i feel compassion for this person but then i'm concerned about m- that my safety when i go to my mom not having collected I said it's okay, and I've I've conjured up I, an excuse. I said, Mom, she's pregnant. We can't do that. We just have to wait. She said next week, it'll be fine next week. But you know what I really admire about my mother is that when we left the Philippines and we went we came over here, she went to everybody, gathered all the pe- people that owed her something, and reminded me of the time of Lazarus. And she said, all your debts are canceled. All your debts are canceled. What's that stewardship? That belong to God. Are you hearing me here? Everything you have belongs to God. And so, the servant—we know the story of the one that that invested it and got something back. You know, and and can I just, you know, have a bit of an editorial? This is why I'm, I'm really grateful for our board of directors and our eldership that are in unity with regards to our next step towards. Putting the money that we have into property that that, that will accrue, that will be, I mean, we're not doing that primarily for investment. We're doing it so that we can have a headquarters as a church. But we're not just putting it into any old building or any old property. We're looking for the right property that will increase because when God gives you something, it's got to increase. Come on, somebody. Amen. When we started with this church, we had five people in the crowd. Remember that? You were with me. What, Trev and Kathy were there at the cinemas. Craig and Jackie were there, and Brendan and Liz were there. Remember that? And my kids were all babies, you know. And, and, and I remember we were leading worship, and there was five people. But, you know, I, and I, I was preaching my guts out as if I had 200 people. And we saw it happen. Amen. Now I'm going to have to preach my guts out to see 1,000 people when I'm preaching. But what I'm saying to you is that whatever God gives you, there is a a, a process of growth and fruitfulness that God expects from you. Does God expect me to be fruitful? Yes, it's in the scripture. It's not an option. Let me give you a few um, foundations regarding stewarding God's vision. I know I've said some of these already from that scripture. Number one, vision comes from God. I've already said that. It comes from God. It is he who gives it. He is the keeper of it. And it ultimately belongs to him and it's offered back to him. You got that? It's from him and it goes back to him. Our job is to increase it. And, and be on this amazing journey to see it birth and take shape and mature. Number two about the vision of God. It always seems impossible at first. Because we are always, for whatever reason, in the way you've grown up and the way you've been taught about life. And the way you have assimilated learning from the very, very beginning. Because everybody learns differently. You may have learned to be one of those gutsy people that just goes after it no matter what. Or you may be one of those timid people where it could be a personality thing. Where you say, oh, no, I can't do that. You know, whatever it might be, uh, what your personality is. But whatever it is that God gives you, one of the criteria of knowing the visions from God is because it's absolutely ridiculously impossible for you to achieve. You know why? because now God never called you to achieve it on your own that's why he you know vision doesn't get achieved just because somebody has money or time it's achieved collectively now listen to this carefully when vision comes i was going to draw it here but i just don't have time right now when vision comes it begins like this, it begins like a revelation and then we get our realizations that oh, that's too big for me. It must be for Trevor. It, must, it mustn't be for me. Right? <laughs> it must be for somebody else who's, you know, taller and better looking or, or has got more resource. And, and that's one of the first things. And then it comes through testing in which we test God. He doesn't test us. We test them to see if it's really from him. And once we've tested that and we've, we've become really committed to that and connected to that, it now requires planning and strategy and action come on this is what happens it doesn't happen it's not how many of you have had personal prophecies in your life it's never going to happen folks unless you're taking a step to it not big steps but small steps what step am I taking today that's going to get me to where I need to be one day where God wants me to be? Now, you might say, well, what if I'm making a presumptuous step and I'm taking a step like this and, and the vision's out there? You know, God. if it's of God, don't you think that God is big enough to kind of stir you this way and go that way? If you're, if you're standing still, you're never going to get there. Come on, somebody. Vision needs action. And you know what? Vision needs arms. It needs legs. It needs feet. It needs eyes. It needs nose. Come on. It needs a brain. It needs a mouth. Oh, what does it look like? That's a body. Vision needs a body. And what body did God leave on the earth to fulfill vision? Oh, come on, somebody. You all know the answer to this. It's called vision the church, collectively we achieve God's purpose for the community, for the city, and for his nation, and the nations of the world, it requires the body of Jesus Christ. vision collectively to achieve something and it's on it's never for an individual. It's for all of us. It's for next year. The other thing about the foundation of, of, of vision is this. God never has a vision that only benefits that generation. The vision of God is always multi-generational. It transcends you. You know what I'm excited about being a pastor? I want you to hear this right. I want to say, I better say it right. Is that we're not building as a church for me. Or for an individual. We're building for our next generation. And can I just say and be presumptuous for the next generation to come. That's why the vision is much bigger than acquiring a property. The vision is much bigger. It's huge. Can I achieve it? Probably not. Can we? Most likely. You hear me? God, I say this prophetically, God's going to bring more people in this church that will help us go to the next level of where he wants us to be. You're going to see it with your own eyes. That God is going to sovereignly provide for this household of faith, for the dreams that he has for us. Whether you decide to be part of it or not, and this is not throwing shade at anybody, because God will ensure as long as I and the elders and the board continue to stay focused and be faithful to what God has put in our hands. God never asks us to do anything outside of what is in our hands, and we are doing everything we can. To ensure that we are faithful. Why? Because God says if you are faithful over little, you will be ruler over much. I'm not just being faithful in what we have right now because I'm happy with it. Because I can see the much. Come on, somebody. I can see a much bigger vision. I can see a much greater community of churches all around this state and this nation and the nations of the world. That you will reach and you will touch with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I say that at the very core? Can you take this away? Sorry for asking you to bring it out. (coughs) Should I draw something anyway? Let me draw something. Let me draw something on it. Okay. I'll draw something on it. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Here. When you have a vision. It begins as a revelation from God, right? The next thing that you do is, is a time of testing of that revelation. It's not because God is testing you with that vision. Because the vision is a test in itself. It's too big for you. You test God. This is what Gideon did. When God says, oh, mighty man of valor, I'm going to do this. You test God with this. There's not many Abrahams out there that say, yeah, I'll just do it. You know, but we tend to test God. Moses tested God, Right? The the disciples tested God, so forth and so on. Because the human mind is limited in understanding the fullness of the supernatural. So the first thing that happens is that it has to strip away the veil and the blindness from your life. That's what testing God is about. We want to be sure. So once that happens, there is a commitment. You commit your life and everything. And that means when you get to the point of commitment, you start to need to learn. To, to bring about people around you to help bring strategy and planning and how you're going to achieve it. Now, you may not have the resources to do that, but you need to begin to look at, if I had everything in front of me, how will I achieve that? And then you'll come to a place of, well, I don't. What do I have in my hands? Because at this point, this is where God says, what have you got in your hands? When the disciples wanted to feed the 4,000, they said it's going to, this is what that happened. They went to a place of testing and commitment. They said, oh, well, you know, we're too far away from anything. It's too late. And nothing's open. And, it, and, and you know, we, it's going to take eight months' salary, right? They were testing Jesus. And Jesus says, you commit yourself to doing this. And they said, no problem. And then Jesus says, what do you got? We got two loaves, five loaves and two fish. Two fish and five loaves, yeah. They committed themselves. Once the commitment happens, right, action takes place. And I was saying before, action requires a body. Action, no matter, I don't care how good your prophecy is, if you're sitting down watching TV or Netflix, it'll never happen. Come on, are you here? You doing okay? Hey, it's not. The vision's never going to happen. You can have the best vision than anybody else. Never going to happen. Ten years out of traction. Thank you, Lord, for that prophecy. I claim it. And then nothing. Right? And guess what happens after you go into action? Testing. Wow. That's awesome. Why is that? Because this time you're being tested to see if you're committed to be faithful and fearless to do what God's called you to do. Not enough resource. Not enough time. Not enough energy. Come on, are you seeing this? Not enough people. Everybody's quitting on me. Right? The dog quit on me. Right? (laughs) Everyone's quitting. In this moment, endurance, just enduring, just endure, and the Bible says, after you have endured, you will receive, oh, come on, somebody, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, don't grow weary in doing well, for after you have done all that you could, you will receive, come on, are you This applies to all areas, applies to your finance, applies to the way you raise your family. And finally, you have the fulfillment of what God's called you, because that's what's vision. You know, at the very core of this whole thing, where it all begins, is the wicked servant that buried the treasure, It ends there, but it actually, everything began there. I'll tell you why. Because his statement, it says, for I know the kind of Lord you are. That you are harsh, and you take what doesn't belong to you. What's the problem here? He had the wrong concept of his master." Because he had the wrong concept of his master, every choices that he made regarding what was given to him was based upon the idea that he's going to take whatever I have. You might say, well, he must be that kind of master, Ted, because even the master confirmed it. Well, you know that I'm wicked. You know that I take what doesn't belong to me. I don't believe that's the case at all. When you read it, I believe the master was mimicking the image that he created. Here's the point that I'm making. The dispensation of the goodness and the favor of God in your life is proportionate to your understanding of who he is. If you think he's a mean God, you will get meanness in your life. If you think he's a generous God, you will experience his generosity. Come on, if you think he's a God of judgment, you will formulate your life based on that judgment. You will create your own God and have this stilted idolatry that you don't even think you're committing because you've cremated, created an image of God that's not even true. Right at the very core of getting the vision from God is knowing him first. And his totality and his sovereignty and his generous love. Yes, in his righteousness. Yes, and his justice. And his fullness. That he never leaves you nor forsakes you. That he'll be with you to the ends of the earth. That no matter how tough things get, he is with you that at the very core of everything that you do you're no longer doing things because you think there's somebody that's going to make you accountable and get you into trouble at the end you will no longer be operating from a fear mentality that he was he said because of my understanding of who you are I became afraid you'll work from of love, grace, peace, empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill what God's called you to fulfill. Amen? There's a lot of stuff in there today. And probably that's as much as I could unpack for you. Amen? Stewarding God's vision. It is eternal. It is from Him. It is for Him. It is for everybody else. Come on, it transcends generations. And your greatest purpose on the earth and your greatest joy will be to fulfill what is called you to fulfill. Note what the Lord said to the servants. He said, enter into my joy. Into the joy of your Lord. Amen. And when you fulfill God's calling for your life, and you become part of what God is trying to achieve, He invites you into this joyous feast with Him. What is that joyous feast, you might ask? It's anything that delights Him. I'm going to talk to you about the delight of the Lord one of these days. A lot of Christians today are suffering depression because they don't understand the delight of God, the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is not your happiness. The joy of the Lord is what makes heaven happy. When you can lock into the joy of the Lord, it breaks depression from your life. i want to talk to you about that one, one day. How many of you like to hear that? Amen? Amen. All right. Well, bless you. You have just listened to a message preached at Church One on the Gold Coast. To find out more about Church One, visit us on the web at churchone.com.au and be sure to subscribe to these podcasts so you don't miss out on any new messages as they are available.